0: This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxed network.com. That's deluxe edition network.com. Perception is not reality. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm here with my guest, Troy.
1: Hello there. Thank you for having me today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely. I I didn't bring any cocktails. Was that part of the requirements of this show?
0: No, it is if you want, oh, okay. <laughs> but I don't make people drink.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's probably good. That's probably good. Yeah,
0: I think a lot of my guests probably had past addiction, so I don't want to be that person.
1: (laughs) You have to drink. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably good.
0: Yes, absolutely. So you are a psychotherapist, an author, educator, speaker, and a survivor.
1: I am, absolutely, yep. I became all of those because I'm a survivor, and I didn't really even recognize that I was a survivor. When I was getting my bachelor's in social work, my professor told me that if I wanted to be a really good social worker, I needed to go to therapy. I was about 23 years old. I thought, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I'm fine. I'm good. I I don't, I don't, I think you're crazy think here and then a year later i'm getting my master's degree and starting to work on some counseling stuff and realizing that i'm struggling with some addictions myself and realized oh that's what she was talking about and then realized yes i have i have some trauma
0: light bulb went on <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know it's funny how that works sometimes i think it's cuz we bury it so bad or at least we think we did and it's mm-hmm. not until we start listening to other people's stories and stuff where you're like, oh, shit.
1: <laughs> right. I think a lot of it is that we didn't know any differently I, until we do grow up and we start to hear other people's stories and we're like, oh, that wasn't supposed to be the way it was.
0: Right, right. So you yeah. grew up with domestic violence in your home.
1: I did. So I was adopted and... um Ironically, my birth mother, when she told my birth father that she was going to have a baby, he told her that if they got together, he would beat her every night. So she didn't want that. So she put me into, she chose to, she really wanted me to be raised in a family with a mom and a dad. So she picked a family. It was closed. So she really didn't know where I went. Um, and and the family that I got into, my dad had a, lo- a really bad rage problem, and so he he did a lot of things to my mom. There were multiple times that me or my siblings called nine one one because we were really afraid that he was going to kill her. And then my mom, as is often the case in these kind of family dynamics, she took all of that frustration and and rage out on the children because. There was nowhere else to put it. And so we got it from really both parents.
0: That's a shame. Were all children adopted?
1: All of us were. I was first, and then my younger brother, and then my older sister. So I tell people I got demoted from being the first child, <laughs> which, you know, there's, you know, family uh, child birth order that really got. St- screwed up
0: (laughs) (laughs) i can see that happening (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. yeah she was 10 and she had come from a, a very abusive family herself so uh that's she had been taken from the state so far far more egregious abuse in her life than what we had in ours
0: right Well, you know, no story trumps another one. It's just a shame. You're right. And then your parents know you deserve a better life, but then you still end up in the same situation that you would have been in. That's crazy.
1: I thought that was really ironic. I thought maybe there was something about that that I was supposed to learn. And I, I think part of that is why I became the therapist that I am today to help people through stuff like that.
0: Right. Absolutely. And good for you for looking at it that way, because obviously you got the same hand kind of dealt twice. So clearly this was your path.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There was something about it. I was supposed to learn (laughs) one way or the other.
0: (laughs) Sometimes it's got a funny way of showing it, don't it? (laughs)
1: Exactly. Exactly. So how
0: long have you been a psychotherapist for?
1: so i got i became a batch i i became a social worker when i was about 23 and then i went to the university of pittsburgh to get my masters in social work and graduated in 1999 and right after that i moved to yuma arizona where i currently live and that was 23 years ago and i've been a psychotherapist ever since
0: very nice i can only imagine the things you hear
1: uh, i you know, I've heard a lot. I've heard a lot. Yuma has about 120,000 people, um, but it's also really a rural area. There's no larger cities around it, so I've heard all kinds of things. I used to work at the hospital and saw all kinds of things. So it was a really, it was, it's been a really unique place to learn about trauma and how to heal and help other people especially in a place where there's not a whole lot of resources so I have to kind of figure out how to do it from within
0: yes it's much needed and that's why I kind of flipped the switch on my show everybody can talk about the story but what happens after the story because mm. it might be the end of the show but this is not the end of their journey by far no
1: right there's There's ramifications for years to come.
0: It's a lifelong journey.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So when you do, obviously, I'm not going to be asking questions. I know the rules. But when you can
1: ask anything you want.
0: Well, I'm talking about like your clients. I know you got privilege and stuff like that. But what is usually like the best advice that you can give somebody that comes to see you?
1: So it may be helpful that to, I, I created a model that I use with 99% of my clients that came from my own experience of trying to figure out why was I doing the things I was doing? Why was I angry? Uh, why was I yelling at my kids when I didn't want to do that this, the way that my parents yelled at me and, and those kind of things? Uh, why was I addicted when I didn't want to do that? And I started to put some pieces together over the years and came up with a concept called attachment wounds and I identified that there are six of them. So we're, as humans, were wired to be connected biologically, neurologically, socially, sexually, spiritually. We're wired to be connected. And if something happens that damages those connections or breaks those, it can create wounds that oftentimes are not seen and unknown but they still affect our lives so we have loss neglect rejection abandonment betrayal and abuse and a person can have one of those or all six of those and then what happens is that especially when these were created when we were children we we were very egocentric in the way that we experienced the world as kids and so we often came up with conclusions as to why this was happening to us And usually it's because I'm bad or I'm flawed or I'm defective. So I'll tell people it's not actually the bad thing that has happened to you that causes you suffering and distress. It's what you've come to believe about yourself as a result or what you've come to believe about the world as a result. Because there's a lot of people who've had bad things happen to them and they're pretty resilient and they move forward. And then there's other people that have bad things happen to them and they're dealing with anxiety and depression. And what's the difference for me? The difference is that they've really come to believe that I'm powerless, that I'm flawed, that I'm defective, that there's, there's no one out there that I can trust. And so my world's no longer safe. And so we begin to like close in and really play small. Or we um, try to prove the exact opposite by becoming very grandiose and those kind of things. But at its root, we're all hurting and we need to tend to the wound and do some wound care and change what we believe about ourselves.
0: Absolutely. I've been there. I think everybody's been there at some point in your life when you're just like the negative self-talk. Is, it's got to go. It's not serving right. you any purpose.
1: Well, sometimes uh, that's actually one of the questions that I ask people I say, so somebody says, for example, I'm not good enough. And I say, well, how does that core belief serve you? And their immediate answer is, well, it's it's not. And I said, well, the irony is that we as humans, we don't really like to hold on to things if we don't like there's a purpose to it we'll we'll get rid of stuff if we don't feel like it's important to us so there's something about this core belief that you feel like is serving you in some way so what is it and they'll sit there think about it and then they'll say something like well when i don't feel like i'm enough i don't have to try very hard i have to be vulnerable i i don't have to put myself out there i don't have to risk things so i can just kind of play small and and it feels safer and but ironically I feel worse. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what it's doing for you. It's convincing you to not be vulnerable. So yes, it's not really serving you, but you've you've been holding on to it because you feel like it's protecting you.
0: Right. It's your form of escape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's normal for people to build walls, especially once you've been hurt. You kind
1: Absolutely. of
0: carry that with you. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it's because you think everybody sees you that way. Or if you start to believe it yourself.
1: Well, I use the analogy a lot of it having a sunburn. So I've had a sunburn quite a few times in my life. And sometimes they've been really Really tender. I can't sleep very well, so I take ibuprofen. But when I go to work the next day, I really don't want anybody to come near me. There's some somebody's going to come up and pat me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" And it's going to be hurt. So I'm cautious. I'm I've become very cautious and put up walls to try and protect people from hitting my sunburn and it's the same with the attachment wounds i don't want anybody to reject me i don't want anybody to neglect me or abuse me so i'm going to find ways to become hypervigilant that's one of the things that happens a lot of times with trauma is our brains become very hypervigilant and it's always scanning for danger now and so i have walls up to protect myself because i don't want you to hurt me i don't want anybody to hurt me
0: right but you're also not taking any chances right have
1: life. <laughs> That's right. That's the challenge. That's the sadness of it. So we heal through connection. We heal through love and and support. And yet I'm afraid to get that because I might be hurt. And so we have to help ourselves say, well, there are some people in our life who are safe. I am enough. I do have value. And so it's, I'm worth reaching out and finding someone to help me.
0: Yeah, How long do you normally need to see a client? I'm sure it differs by range, but what is like the norm span?
1: Uh, I've had some clients who I've seen for a long time, like years. And then I'll have a couple who will come in and, and we'll go over some of this stuff in a couple of sessions. And they're like, I got it. And then they are able to move forward. So it really depends on lots of variables. How much support do you have at home? Do you feel like you're the only one? Is there anybody you can reach out to? How severe was the trauma? I have a couple of clients who have had a spouse complete suicide, and the belief, the core belief that they carry is that it was my fault. I could have done something to prevent that. And in talking to them, even if I've talked to them for years, they still believe that they don't they're like i say do you think that you'll ever be able to shake that and they know like i always am going to feel like i could have done something to have stopped it even though cognitively i know i couldn't have like their brain saying no that's not right but their heart is just holding on to that and so that that perception that they have really then does become the paradigm in which they run their life, the operating system of how they run their life. And so they they continue to see me, not every week or even every other week, but just once a month to kind of check in with how things are going, um, how they're dealing with that, how are they interacting with the world, and having a safe place where they can talk about all their crazy thoughts, where they don't feel like they can share that with other people because people will think, you're really crazy. <laughs> it's like, no, you're just really hurting.
0: Right. And everybody deals with hurt differently.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we all grieve differently.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think it's amazing what you do. Hopefully, you're Thank saving you. lives.
1: <laughs> I hope. That is my hope. I have no idea, but that's my hope.
0: So, you do retreats and everything.
1: I do. We have the Finding Peace retreat, it's a four and a half day experiential retreat, which means, you know, when people hear retreats, They think, like, we're going to have all these people come and lecture at you and you're going to sit in a hotel room, conference, ballroom type of thing, and you're sitting behind tables and you're taking notes, and we don't do that. We go out in the woods and uh, we use a story uh, to tell that the participants are part of, and then they're doing activities the whole time, interacting There's really not a whole lot of lecture, and the whole time that they're doing it, they're learning more about themselves, and hopefully coming to a place where they connect with their truth, that they're enough, that they matter, that they have a purpose, that they have light, um, and that there's something that they can contribute to the world, and then they go home and share that light with the people they love.
0: Sounds great. Do you guys eat peyote?
1: Peyote no, we do they, that. Is something here in the Southwest that people do, and I'm I'm not against it. I I know some people. I have clients who've done um, ayahuasca. I've had clients who've I can't think of the word right now. Um, they've done uh, microdosing, and it's really been beneficial for them. I'm I'm not trained in that, so I don't operate outside of my scope of practice. But there are some people. Ketamine. I have had a client do ketamine. And, and there's a lot of research that that shows that that's a really another way of dealing with trauma that's not traditionally used, but really powerful.
0: I wasn't aware of that one. Um, mm-hmm. I did know about the peyote and you um, oh, said another one. Ayahuasca? Yes. Um, actually, one of my best friends went and did that. And I'm like, girl, you on a cliff, you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I would do that. The vomiting is what I'm like, mm. nope, <laughs> sorry.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't like throwing up either, so I I get it.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they give you a bucket. Mm. Nope, nope, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> but apparently it's really life-changing. So no, we don't do anything like that. We We don't do anything really too weird. I don't think we do anything that's weird, but um we do a lot to try and help you connect with yourself and, and heal those wounds that you have.
0: What are your like you would say like you do specialize in?
1: Trauma, relationships, and shame resilience. Um, I think they all kind of go together, but when I have trauma uh and I don't understand what's happened with my trauma, I'm gonna try and numb it through all kinds of ways, which then will impact my relationships with the people that matter most to me. And so, and then because I behave that way, I feel like crap, I feel horrible. I feel like I'm worthless. And so kind of compounds on itself. And so if I can learn how to, number one, stop the numbing and find healthier ways to take care of the wounds, learn how to repair the relationships that I've had and learn how to communicate in a better way, and learn how to develop shame resilience, then I'm in a far better place to actually show up the way I want to and help the people that I love show up, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're spiraling like that, there's you're not going to go anywhere good, I'll tell you that.
1: No, it's pretty dark. Yeah. Dark holes.
0: Have you yeah. ever had a client that you just couldn't get to and were so damn frustrated? <laughs>
1: i have i've had a couple of those and mostly uh, mostly it's that there's they lack an awareness so they 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 don't have a lot of awareness of really much of anything that's going on in their life they don't have an awareness of their emotions they don't have an awareness of what they really want to accomplish in their life and so they're just kind of stuck and I will use every tool in my arsenal to try and help them like connect with it but if there's a lot of times those are people who have been told to come to therapy they haven't come for themselves they've come cuz their parents said they had to or their spouse said you better go or I'm going to divorce you and they don't really have any desire to dig under the surface so those those clients are a little more challenging to work with sometimes we can get them to unlock it and sometimes i can't
0: I mean, that makes total sense. I said the same thing with like, you know, an alcoholic or someone who even just smokes cigarettes. They're not going to quit unless they want it. That's right. If they try it for someone else, it's not going to work.
1: It's not going to stick really.
0: Right. You got to, you got to be at that point where you're ready and can accept the help.
1: Right. Sometimes it's enough to get them in the door and they realize I actually want this for myself, but sometimes they really don't want it, they're not gonna do it.
0: Do you only work in person or do you do Zoom?
1: Um, so I do work both. Um, I do a lot of courses because I wish I could clone myself, but I can't. So um <laughs> mostly I mostly I see people in person. Uh there are a couple of people that I do via Zoom. But then I do teach like online classes that use these principles. And so we'll meet live via Zoom so anybody can join those and and use the principles. And then I encourage them to find a therapist in their area to follow up with the work that they're doing. Cause I think Zoom is amazing since, you know, COVID really taught us we could do a lot with that. We're using it, we're using a version of Zoom today, but really in person to me is a whole lot more effective when we're dealing with like the trauma that people are dealing with because I can see their whole body. Usually I can only see their face on zoom and our brains are working over, over abundantly trying to figure out what's going on. So I, I like doing in person better because I think it's more effective.
0: You're right. And like you said, you can watch their mannerisms. So you can be saying one thing, but your body's saying something completely different.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So it's harder to catch that when you're just on a flat camera.
0: Right, right. So, you're also an author. You've written three books. You Where do you find the time to do all this?
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I work a lot of late nights after uh, I wrote the first one in the evenings after my kids went to bed. That was the Finding Piece, a workbook. It's a story of eight people who come to group therapy to learn about the attachment wounds and and uh, so they're learning about this stuff and then at the end of each chapter the the reader gets the same assignment that the characters do in the book. So you're like the ninth member of the group. So you get to do the workbook activities and do the same kind of stuff and then next week the group meets again. I've had lots of people use that as a in their own like mini book clubs and they've done all the assignments together which is beautiful i think it's great the second was really just a synopsis of the model that i use Um, it's a little shorter and then the third one is a year of self-love which is 365 entries to help you love yourself a little bit more every day you just read one of the whether it's a quotes or a little activity or a mantra or something, and you just read it and you try to hold on to it for that whole day.
0: I love all of that, but especially the workbook. How cool. Like I've never read anything like that.
1: Well, I started to read it like a traditional workbook and I got bored. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, If I'm bored, this is not going to be good. (laughs) So I had to do something to make myself happy. (laughs) So uh, yeah, that's how that happened.
0: <laughs> I mean that makes sense. If I'm bored, who the hell's gonna want to read it? <laughs>
1: exactly, right? So I created some peeps and uh uh and off we went.
0: Cool. I like that. If anybody was listening and wanted to find them, where do you have those? Uh
1: so they're all on Amazon. Uh you can go to my website, which is findingpeaceconsulting.com There you can sign up for the free Finding Peace five day challenge. Every day you'll get a free video that explains the model and gives you a little homework assignment. And there's also a link to books there that you can uh, get you know, mine. And then also recommendations of other books that I found helpful over the years too.
0: Very cool. Now are your examples in the book like real people?
1: Thing? They are. Uh, they are a conglomeration of real people's stories. So there, there are two characters in particular that are based on particular people, but the most are a combination of stories from lots of people that I've seen over the years.
0: Just put together.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Shmooshed together.
0: Like a shmore. It works.
1: <laughs> That's right. So good. <laughs>
0: are you still taking on more clients?
1: Uh No. Unfortunately, I have like a waiting list of six months for people to see me. That's why I started teaching the classes because I can help a lot more people with a class um, and you don't have to wait as long. So if you sign up for the the challenge, then when I open up another class, I send out emails and let people know when the next class is coming and stuff like that.
0: Well, go on with your bad self. Good job.
1: Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I wish I could. I wish I could. My kids kind of would like to see me every once in a while. So, I bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I have to try and have a good work-life balance like I teach of all my clients. I'm not very good at that, but I'm trying.
0: Right. Well, sometimes they say what? Teachers are like the worst students.
1: Absolutely. I can attest to that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else that you wanted to share? No,
1: thank you so much, Tiffany, for letting me be with you today.
0: Of course. And I do have a question. So I'm also um, starting a nonprofit called The Crime Connection, and it's to help people with like childhood trauma or even any trauma. It could be an adult going through things. And some of my guests, I will pay for like a new client to either for you, it would be like participate in a workshop. hmm And then, obviously, if you guys jived and everything, then they would take over with you from there. But would you be interested in being a part of that?
1: Sure. Yeah. We'd love to be able to help.
0: Awesome. Try to save the world.
1: Hey, one person at a time.
0: (laughs) That's what they say, right?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yes. Be the change, Gandhi says, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we would love to do that. We'd probably love to donate that. Oh. So.
0: Awesome, everything's still in the works, but absolutely, I'm gonna have. How long is your workshops or?
1: So it depends. We have a couples class that's like twelve week, ten weeks long. Like the retreat is four and a half days. The um, we have a recovery class for men in recovery that's a year long. So we have lots of different classes that people can take.
0: Now, if a student misses too many, do you kick them out?
1: Uh, no, I mean, usually, I mean, it's like college, like you don't get a grade at the end, but you, you pay for the class at the beginning. If you choose not to show up, that's on you. Uh, we're still going to hold the class. So you're missing out, but usually the students are pretty good at letting me know, Hey, I have this thing. Uh, what can I do to make up? And we'll try to find a way to help them make up. But, um, no, I don't kick them out I just keep going.
0: That's good, because maybe halfway through, the light bulb will go on, and it's like there's still time.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: Me too. Thank you.
0: <laughs> of course. We have one other question. Where do you normally have your retreats?
1: Uh, so the next one's coming up in October, and it will be in Palestine, Texas. Uh, we've had them in um, Prescott, Arizona. In the past, Um, Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, We try to go somewhere where there's woods and mountains and and out in nature, not in a city. So that uh, there's something about being out in nature that's just really healing. So,
0: you sure you ain't (laughs) Piau?
1: No, promise. I promise. (laughs) (laughs) No, no one around make it either. Sorry, those are the retreats for that. But that's not ours.
0: Those are a little crazy.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well.
0: We own. don't do that.
1: Either. That's right, you know. We just don't do that. I can refer you to ones that do, though. If that's something.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm good, but. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you could go on, uh, what is it? Naked and Afraid. That There you go.
1: Yes. Mm, I, I'm not going to do that, but yes, that's something you could do, too.
0: Well, thank you so much, Troy. I loved having you on the show.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Of it was fun.
0: Yeah. So I'll be in touch. Um, that way, once the ball gets rolling on all that kind of stuff, I'll get like your criteria, make sure I want everyone to be a perfect fit. So you will have a say in all that. Sure. And I will go okay. from
1: there. Beautiful. Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. If you know somebody who could benefit from this episode, please share it with them. All links will be found at the bottom of the show notes, along with my links, so there are no excuses, people, why you cannot follow me on many platforms. Make sure to check out the podcast of the month for the Deluxe Network in June is the Barrel Age Chicks and Deep Dark Secrets. You're not going to want to miss those. If you've been listening to my episodes and you feel as if one of my guests would be a really good fit for you, then stay tuned. I will soon be adding submission forms to start gathering information to make sure I can start connecting people. All right, you guys, we'll talk crime another time. Bye.